This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. Where do you get electricity? We have two giant hamsters running in a massive wheel at our secret underground Yeah, yeah that's funny. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we hope you enjoyed the audio from the first master class on Lost from the Hawaii International Film Festival last week. And we've got two more coming up. But this week, it's back to our season three review. Up next, we'll quickly recap the next three episodes from season three, which are episodes 13, 14, and 15. And then we'll share our thoughts. Next, we'll hear your feedback on the episodes in You All Everybody. We'll hear another song from The Others Lost Mm -hmm. Band. And finally, we'll cover the last two weeks of Lost production here on the island in the Ford Cabin. So, you ready? Let's get lost. All right, well, we're heading into the second half of Season 3, starting with The Man from Tallahassee. John Locke is at a government disability office. The woman at the counter tells him that she is suspending his benefits because he stopped going to therapy. Later, as he's at home watching Expose on TV, a man named Peter Talbot comes to see him about his mother, who is about to marry Anthony Cooper. Locke says he never met him and can't help him. Locke goes to meet Anthony in a flower shop and tells him that his fiancée's son is on to him. He tells Anthony to call off the wedding or he's going to tell her the truth. Anthony agrees. Locke is then visited by two cops who tell him Peter Talbot's family is worth $200 million and that he's dead. So Locke goes back to Anthony and accuses him of killing Peter. Anthony says his fiance called off the wedding because of her son's death. He tells Locke to call and confirm it, but when Locke turns to use the phone, Anthony pushes him through the window and Locke falls eight stories to the ground. The cops show up at the hospital bed and tell him that Anthony disappeared. We see his panic as he's put into a wheelchair. On the island, Kate, Saeed, Locke, and Danielle are watching Jack with the others. They see Jack shake hands with Ben, and Saeed says, well, maybe Jack doesn't want rescuing. Locke says they'll go in after dark and give Jack the choice. Kate tries to talk to Jack, but she's captured as well as Saeed. Locke, meanwhile, goes to Ben looking for the submarine. Tom and Richard show up, and Locke hides in the closet with Alex. Ben tells Richard to get the man from Tallahassee. When they leave, Locke tells Alex to get Saeed's backpack. Locke helps Ben out of bed, and Ben tells Locke that he knows Locke wants to destroy the submarine. Locke says Ben doesn't know him, but Ben tells Locke his whole life story. Ben asks Locke about his recovery from paralysis, and Locke points out that Ben isn't recovering very fast and shouldn't have gotten sick in the first place. Ben tells Locke that his people need the illusion that they can leave. He says that he knows Locke is committed to staying and talks about a magic box. Locke says Ben and his people have been cheating, being able to come and go from the island using electricity and guns. He says they don't appreciate the island. Alex returns with Saeed's bag, and Ben tells Locke about his deal with Jack. Ben says communications are coming 
cut off, so Locke can let the sub go and no one will find the island. But Locke heads for the sub anyway. Meanwhile, Jack goes to see Kate. She asks what they did to him, and Jack says he made a deal to go home. He says he trusts them because Kate told him to trust them in order to save Sawyer. Jack then goes to Ben and asks him to let Saeed and Kate go. Ben says he will as soon as Jack leaves the island, and Juliet thanks Ben for keeping his promise. They go to the submarine dock and they run into Locke there. Locke says he's sorry and the sub explodes. Later, Ben goes to Locke and tells him that he solved his problem with Jack, but he says that Locke has a strong communion with the island and that he wants to help him. He then takes Locke to show him what came out of the magic box, and it's Anthony Cooper. Whoa! Next is expose, and in flashback, Nikki is working at a strip club. She goes in back to confront Mr. Lashad, who's revealed to be the Cobra. He shoots her and cut. It's an episode of expose and Nikki's last episode on the show. The next morning, Nikki and the director are having breakfast prepared by Paolo, and the director, Howard, gives her a bracelet, then suddenly seizes up and dies. Nikki and Paolo raid his safe, and at the airport, they toast their new life, reading about the director's death in the newspaper and watching Boone and Shannon bickering. We jump ahead to the plane crash, and Nikki runs through the wreckage, finding Paolo staring out at the sea. She asks him where the bag is. As they pick through the luggage, Ethan comes up to them. Ethan tells them that some stuff may have fallen inland, and after Jack gives his big speech, Nikki goes to Dr. Arts asking for help. They follow his map into the jungle and find the Nigerian drug plane. Paolo refuses to climb up to it. They then find the Pearl Station, and Nikki refuses to climb down into it. They reach the waterfall, and Paolo dives in. He finds the bag, but he tells Nikki that there's nothing there. Paolo tries to bury the bag on the beach when Locke comes up to him and tells him that things don't stay buried on this island. So Paolo goes back to the Pearl and hides the diamonds in the toilet in the bathroom. Ben and Juliet show up and watch Jack in the swan on the monitors. They leave and Paolo grabs their walkie-talkie. Later, when Locke leads a group into the Pearl, Nikki and Paolo volunteer to go. Paolo then can go into the bathroom and retrieve the diamonds. The next morning, Paolo tells Nikki that not finding the bag kept them together. When he goes to get some breakfast, though, Nikki finds his nicotine gum wrapper. She goes to Sawyer for a gun, but he won't give her one. Nikki takes Paolo into the jungle and demands the diamonds. She throws one of Dr. Arts's spiders at him and they bite Paolo. He collapses and she finds the diamonds in his pants. Suddenly, she hears a clicking sound and then she's bitten by the spider. She runs through the jungle, buries the diamonds, collapses on the beach in front of Sawyer and Hurley saying, paralyzed. Or something like that. Then the story picks up moving forward. Hurley says she's dead. Charlie and Son arrive and try to figure out what she said. Plywood, power lines, or, or Paolo lies. And they eventually find Paolo in the jungle. Jin suggests it was the monster that killed them, and Hurley agrees, saying Echo told Locke, you're next. They bring their bodies to a beach graveyard and check out their tent. They find Dr. Arts's bugs, the expose script, and a walkie-talkie. Sawyer says the others had those walkie-talkies, so Nikki and Paolo must have been working with them. Hurley says the others are too far away to do that, but Sun says they were close enough to kidnap her. Sawyer grabs a gun and heads into the jungle. Hurley asks Desmond if he can use his psychic powers to find out what happened, and Desmond says he saw Nikki arguing with Sawyer. Meanwhile, Charlie confesses to Sun about kidnapping her. Sawyer returns and Hurley confronts him. Sawyer says Nikki wanted a gun, but that he didn't say anything because he knew that Nikki had buried something. He throws Sun a bag of diamonds. Sun tells Sawyer he knows it was his idea to kidnap her, but she won't tell Jin because he would kill Sawyer. She gives him the diamonds back, but slaps him. Hurley then presides over the funeral for Nikki and Paolo, and Sawyer throws the diamonds in with them, and they start to bury them. But just 
before the sand covers Nikki's face, her eyes open, but they finish burying them and walk away. Now, on to Left Behind. In flashback, Kate is in Iowa to see her mom when she meets Cassidy running a scam. Kate saves Cassidy from being busted, and Cassidy offers to help Kate. Cassidy pretends to be Kate and gets taken in by the marshal to feel out the situation. Cassidy says Kate is obviously in big trouble and demands to know why. Kate confesses to killing her stepfather, who she says was a bad man. Kate then goes to see her mom at work at a diner and asks why she turned her in. Kate's mom tells her that she loved her stepfather, Wayne, and if she sees Kate again, she'll yell for help. As Kate leaves Iowa, Cassidy tells her that she's pregnant with a child of her own bad man. On the island, Hurley goes to Sawyer and says there's going to be a vote to banish him. Mm. Sawyer laughs it off, but after he catches a fish and is unable to gut it, he tells Hurley that he wants to try and make amends after all. So Hurley encourages him to give a blanket to Claire for Aaron. Then he goes to hunt a boar with Desmond. When Sawyer delivers the boar to the camp, Charlie says he doesn't know anything about a vote. Sawyer confronts Hurley, who explains that with Jack, Locke, Kate, and Saeed gone, Sawyer needed to do some damage control so he could lead everyone. Sawyer asks, what if I don't want to lead? But Hurley says he doesn't have a choice. Meanwhile, back in Othersville, Kate and Juliet fight. Then Locke comes to see Kate and tells her that he is going with the others. Locke says he wanted Kate to come too, but the others told him what Kate had done. He leaves, and Kate looks out the window and watches all of the others put on gas masks. A canister gets thrown into the room, and she passes out to the gas. She wakes up in the jungle, handcuffed to Juliet. Kate says they have to go back, and walking through the jungle, it starts to rain. They argue about Jack and fight, and Kate dislocates Juliet's shoulder. But they hear the smoke monster and run. They hide in a tree as the monster scans them, but goes away. Juliet tells Kate that Jack saw her and Sawyer together and that Jack wanted to leave because she broke his heart. Then she makes Kate help her put her shoulder back in. They hear the smoke monster again and run. Juliet unlocks the handcuffs and activates the sonic fence. The smoke monster hits it and again disappears into the jungle. Juliet tells Kate that she just wanted her to think that they were in it together so she wouldn't get left behind again. They get back to Othersville and Kate finds Jack and tells him that she's sorry and shouldn't have come back for him. They find Saeed and Saeed says they can't bring Juliet with them, but Jack says they will because they left her behind as well and they head out. And And thud. thud. And that's episode 13, 14, and 15 from season 3 of Lost in, I guess, about nine minutes. We'll take a short break to catch our breath, and then when we come back, we'll share our thoughts on these episodes. We can't wait to talk about these episodes from season three and get to your feedback in you all, everybody. But first, we want to let you know that today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, anytime, just like the transmission. And thanks to Audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. There are a lot of books mentioned on Lost Mm -hmm. and many books that can deepen your understanding and appreciation of the show and audible.com is a great way to dive into them for example you can pick up as your free audiobook a title that was recommended to us by a listener that's right zoe staggs who's a writer herself writes i was cheating on the transmission with a new audiobook this weekend eating the dinosaur by chuck klosterman and the title chapter which i believe is the second one in discusses time travel and eight myths or principles of it as it relates to lost and the movie's primer and donnie darko he's a great writer in general 
but that part might be of particular interest to you guys. I've actually read a couple of um, Chuck Klosterman's mm-hmm. books. He's really fun. He dissects pop culture and that kind of stuff. And in this book, in addition to Lost and Time Travel, he dissects the boredom of voyeurism, the reason why music fans inevitably hate their favorite band's latest album, <laughs> or why we love watching superstars fail miserably. So this audiobook is narrated by the author himself. He also has some guest readers. They include Ira Glass from NPR and Errol Morris, wow. uh, who's a documentarian. He actually made some Apple commercials or Mac commercials as well. And you can make it your free pick with this offer. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. And we definitely want to thank Zoe Staggs for the recommendation. Yes, thank you. All right. So let's get back to our rewatch in these last three episodes that we definitely enjoyed, I think, going back to again. We'll start with The Man from Tallahassee. What did you think of the episode? One of my all-time favorites, easily in my top ten. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Well, lock episodes in general are are great. You know, you find out so much about both Locke and, you, you know, you're given also a little bit of a puzzle piece about the island. And we had been wondering for so long what happened to Locke. Mm-hmm. Why was he in the wheelchair? And to finally know was a huge, huge piece of the oh, puzzle. Oh, absolutely. I remember actually feeling viscerally in me when he hits the ground. I mean, it's one thing to know or suspect why he might be paralyzed, but for have, to have it depicted and rather dramatically definitely was a, was a high emotional point for the entire series. I just kind of like, you know, with season five eyes going back and seeing certain interactions and how they may or may not have had an impact on these characters. Obviously, you you know, Kate seeing Jack with Juliet, you know, why aren't they at each other's throats? Why do they actually seem kind of friendly? Jack uh-huh. shaking hands with Ben. And really when, you know, when they're out there watching them in Othersville, when Ben gets wheeled out in a wheelchair, when they're sitting in the, you know, in the bushes watching right. them, I really would have expected or I'm, you know, really looking for a reaction out of Locke. Right. Because given Locke's history, why he should almost freak out to see Ben in a wheelchair. See, so. I this completely did not enter my mind during season three. Mm-hmm. But I'm think I'm feeling it more and more now, and I don't have any evidence really to support this, and I can't say that it's true. But I really feel like at this point there are two locks already at this point in the storyline. Yes. Well, you know that's what season five does to us. It's how far back does lock as someone else or lock under some other strange influence begin, and you can almost start to see it everywhere. But mm-hmm. I think the conversation in particular that he has with Ben in the kitchen is key to that. Yes, exactly. When he says, "You guys are fakes. You have chickens in your fridge, and you have electricity," it sounds very much like a voice of somebody who's been there a long time. Right. I mean, you when we see it the first time we figure well he's a blind believer in the island he'll do anything to be with the island he's just sort of guessing at this higher meaning but now we're thinking maybe he really does have as ben says not just a communion of, with the island but a, but a deeper understanding than we had as any if he idea had been the there for, for forever absolutely i also thought that it was kind of interesting again back when they're just in the bushes trying to figure out what's going on i was surprised that Locke defends jack you know so he's like mm-hmm. you know maybe he doesn't want rescuing obviously the situation has changed and it is Locke who makes a strong case and says no there must be a reason for jack to be acting like that you know we're going to give him the option to to escape with our help but i thought i mean for him to defend jack given how that is very unlock like i have to admit so i mean whether it was out of character or not or whether because there's something else going on there i really like that interaction um but of course any episode with Locke is made even stronger with ben in it and you you mentioned that conversation in the house all of their sort of the sort of chess game conversations that they have are great so that was definitely a high point of this episode and just the way that we as a viewer know what's going on in ben's head 
head when Ben says, oh, Jack, I'll be happy to let your friends free as soon as you get off the island. Or the way Juliet gives him a really heartfelt thank you for keeping your promise, and Ben's very gracious about it. But you know that he knows at that moment exactly what's about to happen to the submarine. This is... Locke's episode, but I think Ben really steals the show. Well, he's got some killer lines. Yeah, um, we have two giant hamsters running on massive wheels in our secret underground <laughs> That's lair. That's right, which is sort of true. At least there are secret underground lairs with strange powers, at least. Or, no, John, there's no code for there's a man in my closet with a gun to my daughter's head. And it's not even that's not even the funny part. It's the way he says, although we obviously should. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, that again, th- that conversation, and whenever you have uh, Michael Emerson and Terry O'Quinn together, or even uh, Michael Emerson or or Terry O'Quinn and Matthew Fox, just those conversations are definitely among the best. I liked when Locke um, just sort of looks up to Ben and says, "You got anything to eat?" Uh-huh. Which which is to me an exact mirror of the season, uh, the episode ending line right. that Ben gives. You got any milk? Yeah, yeah, you got any milk? So just yeah, just those conversations are worth going back to enjoy. Certainly. Now we have the idea of the con, and it was interesting that Alex articulates it. You know, he says Ben is so good that whatever you do, he makes it so you think it was your idea, and that's something that's been coming in to play with the motivations and messing with all of these characters, like whether it's getting you know, on another plane and coming back to the island you just left, or that, yes, yeah. or just you know, even Sawyer, I think, has said similar things as well. So, again, um, a repeating theme, another repeating theme. I thought the imagery of when Locke gets to the submarine and he opens it up and he peers down into the hole and the camera pulls back that yeah. is a mirror image. I mean, clearly meant to invoke the very end mm-hmm. of the season finale of season one where they first find the swan and get that sucker open. So, you know, I just kind of like these themes that continue in on the show. There was kind of an intriguing line, I thought, when just sort of gets thrown offhand when Kate is talking to Jack about what's going on and how how our, how everybody is. Jack says that the kids are safe. Uh-huh. And, you know, again, the kids just sort of vanish somewhere in season two, I think. And uh, yeah. they, they just sort of get mentioned periodically. They did show up earlier this season with, with, um, Cindy. with Cindy. But it, it again, it's one of those things that I hope that they pay off in season six. They've got to figure out what's going on with and those kids. And I mean, kids. he says safe. He doesn't say thriving or healthy he says safe and i don't know just that that word really sets off bells in my head The uh, line that struck me in this this rewatch that I don't think really caught me earlier was Ben talks saying to Locke about, you know, let me help you out of the bed. And Ben says, you know, I just want a little bit of dignity. You Mm -hmm. should understand that of all people. And they definitely did a very strong emotional scene with Locke when he gets put into the wheelchair for the first time. He's all beat up. gut wrenching. It's gut wrenching. But, I mean, you know, Locke's story, unfortunately, gets worse from that point Uh forward, too. So kind of that idea of um, being... Uh, humiliated being or wanting dignity I definitely think that that even gets stronger between these two characters Mm -hmm. moving forward from season three anything else that uh, caught your eye or attention well the episode ends with Locke saying dad ah that's right which happened before Right. And uh, I don't it's back in season two when Michael is about to communicate with who he thinks is Walt on the computer. You see dad on, on, the, on screen. the screen. It's on not the, said. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's true. The second episode where the season, the, the, show, the episode ends with the word dad. The only thing that kind of, you know, set off a little spark at the back of my head is that this is still early on in Richard's development. Richard mm-hmm. Alpert, who we now know in season five, is a much more deep, interesting character with a deep, with a long history with the island. But yeah. I'm wondering if 
they knew that about Richard in this episode because Why? they kind of deploy him more as a thug, as more muscle. as a muscle. Yeah. And he actually says to Locke, you know, when he's when they're when he they've got him locked up, he says, "You going to do anything stupid?" And yeah, that's I, that doesn't really sound like something. Yes, yeah, it doesn't sound like the Richard we know now. But I think that maybe they were still trying to play out what really his significance would be. But overall, the man from Tallahassee, pretty decent episode. Uh, absolutely. All right. Well, now we have to take a deep breath because the next episode is. Expose. Very controversial. Very controversial. Now, I am a longtime fan and definitely outspoken apologist for Expose. So before we get to my opinion, what did you think about rewatching Going Back to Expose? I have a real love-hate relationship with this episode. I love it because it's brilliantly written and smart and funny and just uh, it's very Hitchcockian, mm-hmm. Twilight Zoney, but in a really interesting way. On the other hand, it did absolutely nothing to move the story story forward. I, I mean, we have we've had episodes before that really didn't move the plot forward, and that was okay. But I was really hungry for answers. I was really starving for information and when this episode aired i just felt really frustrated i can definitely agree with you that if there's any episode that not only didn't move the plot forward but actually seemed to revel in its stationary position basically yeah i mean when i thought of like well what did move forward in this episode well we had the charlie confession to son and the son threat to uh sawyer and a few other things with uh everybody else on the island but for the most part yes this was a stuck in place episode and the frustration I can definitely appreciate. And this goes back again to the people who really hated Nikki and Paula, who were never going to be welcomed. They were introduced awkwardly. They were handled awkwardly. There was no way things were going to end for them well. Right. So for me, though, taking all of that into account, I loved Expose because, in my opinion, this episode of Lost wasn't really an episode of Lost. I mean, no. you touched on it with the Hitchcock and Twilight Zone. This was an episode about Lost. This mm-hmm. was the first and only, I would imagine, episode of our favorite show where they took an extra step back and looked at itself. I mean, it was breaking down the fourth wall, as they say. It was a meta episode. Yeah. Meta episode. So and I, think, I can appreciate it for that on right. that level. I mean, it's the winking at the camera without actually winking at the camera. They won't, I don't think, ever get anywhere like this again they definitely took a big risk playing with this episode and i can see again why people might not like it but for me as a fan of lost i felt like i was watching an episode of lost made for fans of lost so Mm -hmm. to that to that end i just could not i just couldn't stop giggling giddily like a schoolboy with every (laughs) little trick you know yes the logistics of having to recreate scenes we've seen before including setting up the plane crash and setting things on fire i know that had to cost a fortune and um, basically inserting them in other scenes and and I can see that from a plot point of view, there's a great deal of frustration that Nikki and Paulo say find, found the pearl first mm-hmm. or found the Nigerian pl- drug plane first. And like, oh, why didn't they tell anybody? So plot wise, again, there's a lot here to pull your hair out or over. But come on, you got you got Billy D. Williams for one. Uh, yeah, Brilliant. of course. And he gets to be himself in an episode of Lost. How could that ever happen in any other scenario that we have? And then you have some really great, almost two on the nose lines about television in this episode. We all know what happens to guest stars. Right. Or we can just bring you back next season or uh you know of course hurley is a devotee of this show of expose he uh-huh. says it's the most awesome hour <laughs> of television ever and uh the line about paulo which is almost a double reference because paulo was the 
when he was a well-known actor in where he came he from. He was described as the Tom Cruise of Brazil. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So they can make fun of him, the actual actor in the show, on the show. Um, so again, I really feel and understand all of the frustrations with this episode. And I think if I took it a little more seriously, I'd feel that way because they were almost, I think, again, too jokey. But I, I couldn't help it. I, I felt like the creators of Lost were having fun and that's mm-hmm. why I was having fun. Yeah. But there are, you know, little nice touches that I thought were pretty significant. I mean, we see when she pulls off the shoe, they explain when they find the right. shoe hanging in the tree. But, right. But a shoe in a tree is an image from the very first scene. Right. It's, I mean, it's a show. different shoe. but Right. But it's it's kind of an iconic image yeah. in Lost. So I thought it was kind of cool that they brought that back. Um, for you on Expose, anything that you liked or didn't like specifically? The wigs in this episode <laughs> oh, are so bad. Uh, Boone's hair was definitely yes. kind of shaggy. Yes, and Shannon, I mean, Shannon's hair in the pilot is much shorter. I mean, it's a good three inches shorter, mm. and it's not that big, you know? I mean, just the volume of it. I, it I, well, is it so hard to get good wigs? I guess, well, you know, I, and, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure through the entire history of Lost, there have been issues with yeah, hair. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of a weakness of our local hair prop department or something. Unfortunately, the hair was not brought up during the uh, master classes of all things to ask. But, <laughs> okay, well, that's a certainly a fair complaint. Um, but, you know, well, let's see. I liked that uh, the whole conversation as far as plot moving forward, where Son and Charlie and Sawyer have to come clean about being kidnapped. Right. And I, I don't know, Son says a really revealing line. He, she tells Sawyer that if Jin knew about this, that he would kill Sawyer. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know, I I guess I, I didn't ever really picture Jin being violent in that way. Well, my question on that is, you know, we, we, we have seen a reversal from Jin being the mean hitman to being a guy with a heart. You know, right. He's a good guy. Whereas Sun's become kind of a cold-blooded killer. Uh-huh. So uh, is there going to be an opportunity ever left in season six? I don't think so. For this this mystery to become revealed and for it to pay off. I don't, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, when she's, you know, when she says she's not going to tell Jin, I think that's... Pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I can see that just sort of as a p- potential of the threat there, but not ever having to pay off necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, a line that I liked was, uh, sorry, you know, is there a forensic hatch that I know about? Where he kind of does this <laughs> CSI sort mm-hmm. of of reference so i thought that was kind of enjoyable i mean we're already kind of joking about at this point in the series about how there seems to be a hatch for everything you know there's going to be a there's going to be a music hatch there's going to be a a a food hatch there's going to be you know just any little thing is going to be a hatch (laughs) um what did you think about the diamonds do you think the diamonds uh, are going to be a factor are they going to come back no the diamond is like the maltese falcon it's it's the thing in the the mystery movie that it's the plot revolves around, but it's not yeah, the it's plot. Yeah, it's a Right, right. So I can definitely see that, although I think it's kind of interesting. You know, it was a nice touch for Sawyer to just sort of give that up, given that, you know, it sort of says we're, we're here. We're deciding that we're going to live here, and that's meaningless uh-huh. at this point. But I, I, I actually like throughout the episode the way that they revealed what it was, what the MacGuffin was. You know, first it's the bag, then it's the little um, dolls, the Russian dolls, and then uh-huh. it's a little black sack, and then it's the diamonds. Like, we get to watch over time what is it that all of the, the everybody is all excited about yeah. so I thought that was handled pretty well pretty nicely as well I loved that Boone is still looking for a pen when they do the I know do. I know I like that too because you, you, it, it, that little thing again brings you right back to the visceral nature of that plane crash from the pilot mm-hmm. and I still feel the impact of watching that that fantastic pilot um, anything else uh, good or bad that stood out for you in this episode the, the line that Shannon says to Boone if you would just quit flirting with random guys maybe we could <laughs> Right. Do well, something. The, the the question I remember at the time that people were all excited, like, well, maybe there's an issue with Boone's sexuality. Uh-huh. But, I mean, 
he had a crush on her. They they got together. I mean, I don't think there's anything necessarily. No, to that. she was angry at him. She was ranting at him. You know, she mm. was really mad that they had lost their seats in first class. And I think when anybody is that irritated with somebody, they just you know say things yeah, like why that. not just hit a little low a little yeah. bit below the belt and uh well the line that i liked was when you know hurley's trying to explain why he thinks it's a smoke monster is because echo said you're next and sar's like oh no he didn't mean you're next he meant we're all next we're uh-huh. all gonna go and hurley's like that's not really much better uh-huh. but I, I think it's it's a significant question because we're all still next has has that major judgment come or is that what's to come in season six for lost i, I would think that something like that would have to come at the end because it's <laughs> So huge. Yeah, but I mean, I think that was a significant line. And again, Uh still coming in what is otherwise a pretty silly episode. Well, let's put the silly episode behind us and move on to another potentially dangerous conversation because it is a Kate episode. But let's (laughs) talk about Left Behind. What did you think? Kate has a horrible mother. Okay. Uh, Well, so that may or may not excuse some of the issues that we have with Kate. I don't know. I mean, how does a woman choose her husband over her child? Or an abusive husband or a bad person. Right, right. Well, you know, on on one hand, I think clearly they wanted to show really how emotionally wrecked Kate is. I mean, she already had daddy issues. Now she has mommy issues. But the whole thing where the mom says, you know, you don't choose who you love. um, That is something that a person in an abusive relationship would say, you Uh know. But in this case, despite the fact that Kate tried to save her from it, you know, she wasn't ready to make that break. The other thing is, and I think that was true that her mom said is, you didn't do it for me, really. You did it for you. You know, you wanted the release. You wanted to, to, to feel better about it or something. And so to that extent, I think that there was something to what her mom said, that this action that you're being chased around the country for is really wasn't something you were trying to do for me you were you were also doing it out of your own sense of vengeance possibly well that that i can see Mm. i mean i understand where she's coming from but it's you know it's still not really cool what she did (laughs) no i wouldn't call it cool um we have uh, some other really interesting things happening this episode for me at least i mean a couple episodes back we had john locke making excuses of all things for jack in Uh this episode john talks about how he really wanted to make a strong case for kate i wanted you kate to come with us but then they told me what you did and they're not a forgiving people so see that conversation is Mm -hmm. another demonstration to me that there are two locks really Yes. Because, you know, she he's already part of the team or he's already it's deeply just invested in what it. What he says sounds like it's coming out of somebody else's mouth. Well, you true. know, well, anytime you have something where the other character is just kind of looking at you like, what the heck are you talking about? And we're having that same reaction. You're right, I think. right. I can definitely see. Yeah. OK. So maybe, yes, at this point already, there's something a little more mysterious happening with Locke. I thought that this was an odd episode for Juliet and Kate, obviously, being stuck together like that. But here we have Juliet demonstrating. She's a serious, tough broad. She's tough. I I know I would not want to get into a fight with her. <laughs> she has lightning fast reflexes. When whether she's being you know ambushed in the room or uh, just everything that she does, and she says this is the fourth. Don't worry about it. This is the fourth time my shoulder has been relocated. <laughs> and we are still trying to figure out Juliet's character. Where in her past is this martial arts ninja training? Exactly. I where, don't know. How, how could she have had her shoulder? dislocated four, four times. times yeah we, even when we go back and we see her flashback in her time of the aisle, we don't get the sense that it was a very physical you know violent period in her life so that is kind of an interesting gap with her but the other thing that comes up with Juliet's character is it turns out this whole thing being handcuffed to Kate was a ruse because she didn't want to feel like she gets left behind again mm-hmm. and I remember at the time that line was delivered I was like oh 
God, come on, that's a little ridiculous. But uh-huh. looking back, right. remember our complaints at the end of season five. Why does she revert into this abandonment issues kind of girl? Well, here you go. I think that on the wall in the writer's room next to Juliet's name has to be... a you know, abandonment issues. That has to be one of her big bullet points. Yeah. And whether or not you agree with, again, the turn that she took in the season five finale, just as we discovered earlier on in this rewatch of season three, they've at least been consistent that that's why she she had to go, she, she put on that little show. Well, she had to handcuff herself to Kate. Remember? Ben gave her orders. That's how she ended up back in oh, the camp. Yeah, I mean, yes. Later on, they, that's true. That's the other reason, which is it's part of an overall plan that she had to infiltrate and, I think, find out how many women were pregnant or right. anything. I think there was even a missing piece, a little short video or a short movie that they did on the web that touched on that right, conversation right. as well. But yeah, okay. So there's something else going on there. That's true. Anyway, I'm just trying to like the season finale a little <laughs> bit better, I guess. Well, one of Kate's lines that I love in this episode is, Welcome to the wonderful world of not knowing what the hell oh, is going on. you like that on. line? Yes, I do. Oh, I don't know. I mean, again, that's sort of the, you know, sort of season one, very flat, uh, one-dimensional Kate, where she's just whining about not being included and I want to go with you. So I thought that was a little a little too cheesy. But I guess that's true. I mean, that's sort of, you know, showing up to Juliet. And right. as we just discussed, she's Juliet actually knows what's going on. You know? That's so true. That's, you know, there's, there's now an additional meaning to that line, definitely. This was a significant episode for the smoke monster. Yes, yes. We don't know what it is. <laughs> well, do you think that she's telling the truth? That, you know, that the others... That they they knew that they could stop it with the fence, but they really don't know where it comes from. That, that yeah, I, I believe that. I believe that only the hostels really know the deal with the the with original the, original island right, inhabitants right. that that Ben isn't even necessarily a part of. But right. yet he knows how to summon it, and he knows that the role that it plays. Well, you can know about it, but you cannot know the history of it. You cannot know what its full purpose was, and you can use it to your own ends, but you don't have to understand it exactly. Right. Well, I mean, I I remember that the metaphor was driven drawn earlier that it's kind of like an attack dog on one hand you uh-huh. know how to open the gate and let the sucker go but if it ends up eating your you know chomping on your leg you know you can't really control it so that's true but I, again for the smoke for smoke monsters um, definitely left behind was a good episode as well um, the other thing about left behind i think is that it's got some great one-liners you know of course sawyer's involved in a good a good number of them. i don't like blankets, blankets. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, hey they're a little baby you know just the way that he's totally <laughs> awkward about dealing with kids i thought that was kind of cool and the 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 scene you know even yunjun kim had a brilliant scene when she's on the beach and, and she's laughing and, with jin yeah. And, yeah and she actually looks over at sarah and she has a very genuine smile on her face and sawyer smiles back and then her face just freezes turns stone yes. cold and he's like i guess i'm not gonna get the korean vote but just the way that uh, her face you know just kind of melts away i really enjoyed that a lot um and of course hurley chiming in with the uh, we all just want to eat laugh and have fun and forget that we're totally screwed i mean yeah. I, I, you know again just like we're you know you're all next i mean a, an offhand line that has a significant amount of yeah weight and we, behind you it. know we don't even realize you know when this first aired we didn't even realize how right he was yes yeah, so there's a war coming or uh-huh. or the, the freighters are coming right I mean, the beginning of the end uh-huh. it definitely gets a lot darker for everyone on the island so a very cool line for hurley um anything else caught your attention in this episode walking after midnight makes an another appearance. Oh, yes. I mean, again, as far as the motifs, the musical motifs for our characters, Kate's definitely uh, rears its head in this episode as well. Mm-hmm. So definitely uh, love the music on the show. Well, I think that's it. That's our thoughts for yep. these three episodes of Season 3 of Lost. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll hear from... You all, everybody. <laughs>
Brian and Jen. This is Kelly, and I'm a new listener to your podcast. I just wanted to let you know how much I was enjoying it. Um, my husband and I are watching Lost, actually, for the first time. Uh, we missed it when it was first on ABC. And we're just finishing up with season three and starting season four. And it is so fun to listen to your podcast as we're going along. And even though sometimes you guys talk about things that have happened that we haven't seen yet, um, it, it doesn't give much away, honestly, because Lost is so complicated and so um, overlapping. And there's so many details that even if you hear little spoilers here and there, it is still so exciting to watch it when we turn on the next episode. And I can't imagine having to wait weeks between episodes if we hadn't had it on Hulu or we're watching it right now. So thanks again for your podcast. Um, keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Christine from Ohio. Um, we just It was really neat me- meeting you at the HIF Festival. And uh, I just wanted you to encourage all your listeners who are already if they're listening to your podcast, they're already huge Lost fans. But we had the trip of a lifetime coming to Oahu. We had so much fun. We walked around Otherville and the beach camp and Hofstrahler Funeral Parlor. We ate at Mr. Cluck's and got to go see two of the hatches and actually go in one of them. And um, it was just the funnest trip ever. We'll always remember it. We're even talking about going again. It was not that expensive. It was pretty reasonable. And um, we ate cheap. One of the best meals we've ever had in our lives was out of a truck on the side of the road. <laughs> it was really good. But um, anybody who's thinking of going just needs to go. It was only like $1,000 a person. You wouldn't think it would be that cheap. But um, And you can eat cheap, too. So it was so much fun, and it was nice to meet you. Thanks. Bye-bye. We start things off there with a couple of voicemails from the Lost Line, Kelly and Christine. Now, Kelly, she's watching season three for the first time, but Uh she's still following along with us. That's kind of interesting. That takes a lot of (laughs) self-control to not look at spoilers and to find out what's going on. Well, I think it's interesting that you can enjoy that, uh, even though we're making reference to season five, season four, and that it's Uh still kind of enjoyable. I agree with her that there is so much going on at Lost that even if you hear something like that, you have no idea how much more there is. So you don't mind at all that much. And Christine, yes, it was great to meet you here at the Hawaii International Film Festival, Celebration of Lost. And we've met many fans that came just for that event. And we continue to meet fans that just come to enjoy the Lost experience. And I would definitely agree with Christine if there's any year where you're going to get on that plane and come check it out. There are so many people here this year just to check out the filming Mm -hmm. and and the sites. We've enjoyed meeting as many of them as we could. We like to give advice as to where the locations are. And even if we can't meet up, we like to sometimes help you find them filming, which you're only <laughs> going to be able to do until, I'd say, uh, March or April mm-hmm. or maybe even May of next year. But that's pretty much it. I'm glad that it wasn't a very expensive trip for Christine. Hoy is not known for being affordable. But again, if you're a hardcore Lost fan, this is the time to come. And in January, there's still a tiny sliver of hope that they're going to be doing the Brunch on the Beach I premiere. hope so. I That would be the highlight of my year. That would be the, yeah, absolutely. That'd be the pinnacle of the Lost fans experience. In any case, let's 
move on to feedback on each episode, starting with the man from Tallahassee. Blue Dog 1121 writes, I remember being so shocked at the reveal of how John ended up in a wheelchair. But this episode brings up a bigger mystery, which John points out. Why isn't Ben healing faster? And really, why did he get a tumor in the first place? To me, this links something nice back home from season four. Jack gets appendicitis. Ben and Jack are the only people, besides Aaron with his mystery fever back in season one, I think it was, who have gotten sick on the island. Hmm. Does that link them somehow? Is the island or Jacob or the other guy angry at both of them? Or maybe they're given illnesses as a means to an end for the island. Ben is given a spinal tumor, so Ben and Jack will be brought together, perhaps. Jack is given appendicitis, too. I don't know. Shippers would probably have theories. Just brainstorming. Well, that's an interesting thought. I mean, I still think that the deal with the the vaccines or the shots that everyone's given, Mm -hmm. that's necessarily not necessarily been fully explained. But it's true. There's only a certain number of people that have dealt with illnesses on the island. And it's interesting to point out that it is specifically Ben and then Jack, who actually needs his own surgery on the island. I'm wondering if that's something that's going to come up later on. Rich in Cleveland writes on the blog, I love the way Ben and Locke play mind games with each other in Ben's bungalow. Ben doesn't have his customary success, though, which makes me wonder if he's actually dealing with Locke here. This will become more yeah. evident later in the brig. But consider why Locke is on his blow-up-all-means-of-escape tour. Is it really to ensure purity, as he claimed? Or is it to prevent anyone else from reaching the island, thereby ending the trial of humanity? It was the arrival of the Black Rock that made AJ declare his desire to kill Jacob. If AJ can prevent renewal from either reproduction or repopulation, he can use his abilities to corrupt the rest and turn them against one another until he rids the island of all humanity. And checkmate. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, we all believe that Locke just, just doesn't want to leave the island. He's going to destroy any way to get off the island because he wants to stay there. Uh-huh. But now you have that larger question about what's been going on on the island. Maybe yeah. he was trying to stop something else. I definitely like your thinking. Chris writes, The man from Tallahassee has to be one of my all-time favorites, at least in my top ten. There are shocking moments galore. Jack is so cold to Kate when he goes in to tell her he is leaving. I was right there with her thinking, what is wrong with him? I am a sworn jader, but, you know... Kate kind of deserved that. And Anthony Cooper, I miss that character. He was so evil. I remember my jaw dropping when he pushed John out the window. John looking at the wheelchair for the first time with his bruised up purple face, the expression he had looking at that chair, knowing he'd never get out of it. So heartbreaking. I kind of hope that the season five plan was successful and takes us back to when all our losties are alive again. That would mean that Anthony Cooper would be alive again and he can die another horrible death. <laughs> well, there you go. So, I mean, yeah, you got father issues and they don't get much more complex than Locke's dad. Yeah. And definitely not a good guy. So that'd be kind of a great way to uh, sort of get another dig in at him. But I'm, I'm glad that Chris puts it in his top 10. I, I'm not sure I if I put it in that high, but I definitely enjoyed it. Nate in Ohio emailed and says, I was really disappointed in the character turn for Jack that started in this episode and continued all the way until late in the season, and I have to blame the writers for this. Here we have the hero and leader of the survivors who has saved numerous lives and was dedicated to getting everyone rescued. To have him just give up, forget about everyone else, and decide to go home was lame. This Is Jack a Traitor storyline would continue until the last few episodes of the season. Then in the season finale, he is back to being the Jack we know, courageously leading the survivors to the radio tower and masterminding the downfall of the others. I really didn't feel like the Is Jack 
Hackatrader storyline fit with his overall story, but was written simply for the sake of trying to trick the audience one more time. The only other time I was this disappointed with the writing for Jack was in the season 5 finale when he revealed his reason for blowing up the Jughead was because he had lost Kate. Lame, lame, lame. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I share your frustration, especially with the season 5 part. Well, you know, the thing where he catches the football and he's uh-huh. all chummy with them and everything, that was a great mind, you know, blowing event mm-hmm. for us as viewers. But then when you really think about Jack's trip up until that point how could he go from being you know really down in the dumps and making this terrible deal just because his heart is breaking to playing football with Tom I mean I think that was a great visual that they did but then for them to try and write their way out of that situation was I think a little awkward it was clumsy I kind of agree but on the other hand the comparison to season five once again Jack kind of goes a little overboard he wants to blow up the entire island because of the way things went with Kate so here he's doing something because of Kate there he's doing something something for Kate if anything at least they're being concerned That's true. Now on to expose. Tom in New Jersey writes, I will say that I, like Ryan, am an expose apologist. I remember being a bit frustrated that this episode interrupted much more interesting plot lines that were unfolding, but taken on its own merits, it is a good little story. Pulpy and silly, but entertaining. That said, I'm not going to try and defend Nikki and Paolo. They were both really annoying characters, sort of reminiscent of Boone and Shannon, in that they were both seemed like they just came out of a soap opera. Very obnoxious and catty. I would agree that, you know, Nikki and Paolo were not the best introductions. We've said it many times. But if there's any way for a character go- to go, this is probably it. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think Pulpy is a good description yes, of Yes, that's exactly right. Absolutely. Jason B. in Delaware writes... Just like you, Ryan, I have always enjoyed Expose. Great, well-crafted episode. It's got mystery, suspense, sex, adventure, humor, everything you need, and it seems to be a real shout-out to Alfred Hitchcock. The final twist at the end with the eyes opening with the dirt falling on her is a twist straight out of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and the suspense that they built around How Did They Die reminds me of any Hitchcock mystery. Yes, well said. (laughs) Well said. Mike in Virginia writes, I know I'm in the minority, but I like this episode, even the first time around. I really liked the way they integrated Nikki and Paolo into the storyline like they were there all along. The little touches like Boone asking Nikki for a pen during the initial crash and then being there for Jack's live together die alone speech were really well done. Seeing more of Dr. Arce and even Ethan showing up like he was there from the beginning were also great touches. And I thought Sawyer throwing the diamonds in with them before they were buried was just one more step on his road from bad guy to good guy. Then, of course, the fact they were mistaken for dead and buried alive was something out of a Twilight Zone episode. All right. Well, you know, that's one thing that he mentioned that I thought was great about this episode. It was an excuse to do a lot of things, mm-hmm. among them bringing back, you know, bit characters that we missed. Right. You know, Dr. Arce and Ethan and all of that. So, again, many reasons why expose deserves at least a little love Yan from France writes great Twilight Zone episode oops I mean lost I love when Nikki opens her eyes at the last second so cliche and yet so fun poor Nikki and Paulo though nobody liked them the flashback is handled when well the story is fun and yet something disturbed me I don't know why but Darlton said it would be seen as a key episode eventually representative of the show so how is it supposed to be the representation of live together die alone most importantly, though, this is, I think, the only standalone episode I would show to friends who don't know anything about Lost. It has the fun, the drama, the island, the relationships, a very good episode, and a great farewell for Nikki and Paolo. But they don't beat Echo's farewell or Charlie's. Mm. So do you think that uh, this episode is something you'd show to a new viewer of Lost? No. I, I think there's too many inside jokes, yeah, really. Yeah. But it is kind of a neat catch-up because it does, again, you know, just like the other 38, uh, the 48 days, it yeah. spans so much time that in terms of a crash course, 
course of what's going in Lost, going on in Lost. I can see how that works. Now, do you think that the deaths of Nikki and Paulo are some of the great greatest deaths on Lost? Actually, kind of, yeah. Hmm. Because consider this. I mean, Echo goes through that spiritual awakening. He becomes a priest. He builds a church, and he gets slammed into a tree. True, true. So undignified. And I mean, Charlie had a heroic death, but consider like Analysia and Libby. They were they were shot in the same scene. They both go at the same time. You know, they weren't given a, a chance. You know, really. And and I think. Nikki and Paolo were written in a very funny, ironic, Hitchcockian way. And I think, you know, if I had to pick the character, you know, if I had to pick a character death, it would be theirs. Yeah, actually, if there's anything to really be upset about this episode is that a well-written death went to them and not somebody that we really, really liked. Vera in Russia writes, Although Nikki and Paolo were both dull characters that nobody really cared about, the episode itself was actually not bad. It just seemed to me out of place. What was the point of that episode anyway? Maybe the purpose was to show that not only the main characters, but all who crashed on the island and were not taken by the others, were living exceptionally dysfunctional lives. Apart from this, I like the piece of advice that Locke gave to Paolo about saving the trouble of digging a hole to hide whatever he was hiding. It was a Matryoshka doll, by the way, and being Russian, I love that reference Locke says things don't stay buried on this island I never paid attention to this phrase the first time I saw it but now after five seasons with all that stuff about bodies needing to be buried it takes on special significance don't you think absolutely I think that's a great observation and we've been seeing a lot of attention paid as to whether a body was left out or Uh whether a body was buried and especially now that we have or burned and especially now that we have an anti-Jacob or some other you know entity that can perhaps take their form that becomes a very significant conversation so great comments there Vera all the way from Russia I love that Terry B emails and says I have mixed feelings about expose the story it's Itself wasn't too bad and it was nice to take a stroll down memory lane but the whole purpose of it was just to kill off Nikki and Paulo that just seems like a waste of an episode but I like that Charlie told Sun about how he pretended to be one of the others abducting her and was that the smoke monster sound right before the spiders attacked Nikki and Paulo yes absolutely I think Anne from France noted on the blog that yes. um, Dalton even confirmed that the smoke monster uh, took that step but the question is why were they significant and why necessarily in that form but you are not imagining things yes but I can see that you know it might be seen as a, a waste of an episode. Jen in Chicago also left the shortest comment ever, said, didn't watch it, didn't want to watch it again, we couldn't see the point, couldn't bring myself to do it. So again, there are certainly a lot of people that have issues with the uh, expose. Sasha in Indiana writes, I actually like expose. The chills at the end are enticing to me, but I noticed that when Paulo enters the underground hatch to hide the diamonds, he doesn't seem to close the hatch doors behind him. Then Ben and Juliet arrive. I would think that they would have suspected someone being down there. Now, I know that when you watch the episode with closed captions when they first come in when you see Ben and Juliet come in they make a, me- a, con- make a mention of something like yeah. who left the door open or why was this open yeah so, Pickett was down here yeah, or something I think that answers Sasha's question on the other hand I remember when this episode aired there are still a lot of people who don't believe that that's the only entrance into this hatch that they mm-hmm. must have been a back door because the way they filmed them coming in it seems like they're coming from a different direction rather than down the ladder yeah I thought so too so you know you've got that uh, blast door map that Locke found maybe there's more ways to get around but Fun question, Sasha. Now let's move on to Left Behind with a couple of Lost Line calls. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Brennan from Hammond, Louisiana, um, with some comments on Exposé and Left Behind. Now, on Exposé, there's not a whole lot to say, um, except, you know, Billy D. Williams, awesome. Great to see him in the beginning. And, and that's, you know, all I have for that episode. But in Left Behind, the first thing that struck me was poor Juliet, the waitress. If she ever makes it back to the mainland, 
She needs to not go into waitressing. Every time she tries to bring somebody food on the island, she gets attacked. Um, the, the cool things about this episode were we got a lot more into the smoke monster. And we saw camera flashes from the smoke monster and we're left wondering why the smoke monster let Juliet and Kate live after, you know, apparently finding them. Apparently hiding those trees doesn't really save you. <clears throat> and we, of course, got to see the true purpose of the sonic fence and why it was there. The only other cool thing about the episode was Sawyer casually mentioned some Dharma A1, but if you look, there's an actually a bottle with a Dharma symbol on it that says A1 for the uh, steak sauce when they're having their little boar feast at the end. thought that was cool. Love the sh- uh, podcast, guys. Between you, Jay, and Jack, I never know who to go to first after a new episode. Love you guys. I'll keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Zymox from New Jersey. So I'm going through watching... Uh Watching these shows, and something that occurred to me with uh, with the season five eyes that I have, is it possible when Locke comes to talk to Kate and uh, basically tells her that the others uh, they're not very good at forgiving? We all assume it's because she killed her stepfather or her father, but could it be possible that they know about the role she played in? the uh, nuclear device going into the swan station and blowing up the swan station. Can it, can it be going back that far? And, and you know, I mean, Widow's a lock. You, you don't know what he is at this point, if he is uh, other Jacob or un-Jacob or unlock or flock or whatever you want to call him, or if he really is John Locke. Uh, so it's kind of realistic, and, I, and I'm starting to think that this list that Jacob has made and has some of these key characters are not on it, um, it's part of the chess game. Jacob is putting characters where they need to be. That's it. Thank you very much for uh, your dedication to uh, Sparkle Motion. Mahalo for those calls. So Brennan uh, definitely pointing out that Juliet has issues with food. Yeah, she can't make br- she can't make muffins. She no. burns her muffins, and that that grilled cheese that she brought to Jack really kind of looked a little right. And toasty then she too. gets attacked for bringing that food. Uh-huh. So definitely good observation. Hopefully she doesn't have <laughs> she isn't a waitress in another life. Um, and yes, Dharma A one a nice catch there. Now, why mm-hmm. do you think the smoke monster let them go if they could if it could have gotten to them in that tree? Are they were they not ready for judgment? Were they necessarily good people? What do you think? He probably saw something worthwhile in, in, in both of them. Although he came a second time for them, too. That's true. So that is, and they were stopped by the sonic fence. I mean, just like Locke, you know, the smoke monster had one sort of take at him and then a second take at him That's that could true. have ended differently had not someone interceded. So, But interesting question. Um, our second call from uh, Vimark, I guess, or Mark, sorry mm-hmm. if we butchered your name, but also someone on the bandwagon saying that uh, already they're aware of what we're going to see coming up in seasons four and yeah. five. You think so? Yes. That uh, they're not forgiving people because Kate was a party to the detonation of the swans or whatever that was back in 1977? Yeah, I I, I definitely think that whoever Locke is presenting himself as in front of Kate, he definitely has an idea of what's been going on. Or again, what happened, because we're talking about what happened in 1977. Good golly, my brain is starting to twist into knots. Well, let's move on to additional commentary on Left Behind. Gavin right here in Pearl City writes... I love how this episode foreshadowed the leader that Sawyer would become in season five as part of Dharma. For the first time in his life, he did good things for other people and learned how satisfying it could be to be part of a community. Juliet has a lot of combat skills for a doctor, though, don't you think? Definitely. I totally forgot about how she handcuffed herself to Kate because she didn't want to be left behind again. The small moment helps to clarify Juliet's abandonment issues that seem rushed in the season five finale. While her motivations about detonating the bomb may still be suspect, at least I can better understand her line of thinking, as we certainly agreed, but definitely 
definitely, you know, Sawyer, yeah, he's, he is the leader. So mm-hmm. he kind of played out um, the way Hurley wanted him to grow. The Simple Man in Phoenix writes, Left Behind remains one of my favorite episodes for the Kate-Juliet interactions, although the flashback doesn't do much for me. In fact, I would say that the scene where Juliet stares down Smokey behind the protection of the sonic fence is one of my top five favorite visuals in all of Lost. What do you guys think of the connection between the white flashes from Smokey when Juliet and Kate were in the banyan tree and the beautiful bright light that Locke told Echo about? The white flashes make me shy away from a two smoke monsters theory, but I still don't know what they mean for Locke's vision. Well, definitely that visual is great. And the way that Juliet fixes her gaze on the smoke monster does not look like someone who's necessarily afraid of it. Just, you know, I got your number sort of look. So Uh I definitely like that. But yeah, I don't think there's two smoke monsters. I definitely I think that, again, as Locke's experience was different from Echo's experience, you know, that is not what I saw. um, It presents itself differently depending on how things are going to turn out with you in terms of being judged. But uh, definitely some good questions. Bonita in Atlanta writes on the blog, Kate not being sorry is underscored and makes me wonder if repentance is not one of the categories on the lists. The list could be what the others use to determine how to manipulate the Losties and anyone else for the bigger picture. Kate and Juliet chained together was a clever metaphor for the way the fate of the others and the Losties is linked as well. Well, so, we do know that Echo died because he was not sorry for mm-hmm. for stealing. Right, and Ben is allowed to live at uh-huh. the, when he gets judged for Alex because he is very sorry. I mean, I'm not sure if we can ever believe how sorry Ben actually is, but he seemed pretty repentant there. So I think, yeah, I mean, if you're going to put up the Ten Commandments of Smoky Land, um, that's going to be one of the things, I think, on the list that determines whether or not you're a good person. Jen in Chicago writes, I didn't much care for this episode. It completely felt like filler. There was absolutely no nothing accomplished in any of the three storylines to advance the plot. It was like a little detour that led nowhere. I don't know why Kate episodes have to be so bad. Evangeline Lilly is incredibly talented, but the writers just butcher her backstories. I definitely blame them, not her. I'm all for character development episodes, but I felt like there wasn't even any of that. So frustrating. Well, so not a fan of Left Behind, and I said she wasn't a fan of Expose either. I mean, I think that, you know, Kate does get sort of the short end of the stick as far as writing goes. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think if there's anything that really rubbed me the wrong way on this episode is that, you know, ever since I heard someone else commenting that in any scene, and not just in Lost, in any scene, television, movies, if someone's running, particularly running through the jungle, they have to fall down and get mm-hmm. picked back up again. So that happens in the scene, and they happen to fall down in a mud yeah, pit. That's... And so they get to run around covered in mud. And, you know, some parts of this episode definitely... I know, graded. I felt like the, the first fist fight was really kind of... <laughs> cheap too yeah just sort of like a cat fight in the jungle and they're all you know they're gonna get all wet woohoo but on the other hand I think that you know as Kate's episodes go this wasn't the absolute worst I mean I guess that's faint praise but (laughs) to really get an understanding of how badly she was betrayed by her mom or at least how deeply that was felt I think was you know kind of illustrative it wasn't as Mm -hmm. bad as why Jack has tattoos for example exactly yeah well that's all the feedback we can share today but we enjoyed all of the emails and phone calls and uh, blog comments that we got and before we go we wanted to take a moment to specifically thank the listeners who left great feedback for us on our podcast on iTunes and that includes Scott in Tucson, NC Losty, Brett AR, Wasea 73, David from Atlanta, 
Timberwolf 421, D20 Girl, Leo 178, and Nervebreaker. Thanks very much Thank for you. sharing how much you love our show because really that explains how much we love to make the show <laughs> and why we really appreciate hearing from you. Now remember, every email, whether we can include it in the podcast or not, will enter you to win some really, really special prizes. We're going to be doing a drawing at the end of the Season 3 Rewatch for a limited edition Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll, which is a Comic-Con exclusive item from Entertainment Earth. Also, a copy of the Season 3 and Season 4 albums from the Others Lost Band. That's the great band based in Massachusetts that writes the song based on every episode of Lost. And a copy of Nikki Stafford's book, Finding Lost. That's right. So get those emails in. Now, looking ahead, next week, we'll share another special treat, audio from the second masterclass on Lost from the Hawaii International Film Festival. That topic was bringing the design of each episode together, and the panel featured production designer Zach Grobler, director of photography John Bartley, construction coordinator Michael Crow, and location manager and associate producer Jim Triplett. Then the following week for our scheduled rewatch podcast, we will cover season three, episodes 16, 17, and 18. That's one of us for Juliet, Catch-22 for Desmond, and DOC for Sun. So as you enjoy the second of three masterclasses of Lost, please remember to pop in those DVDs as soon as you can and send us your feedback for us to include in the November 22nd show. You can send your thoughts via email to lost at whatyup.com. You can post it on the blog at whatyup.com slash lost or call the lost line at 815-310-0808. Coming up in about three minutes, we will have the forward cabin. But first, paving the way, we have a little musical interlude. This is a song by the other's lost band based on one of the episodes we just discussed, Expose. And the song is Buried Alive. Nikki's my girl, we found the pearl, and now she's buried alive. Paolo's my guy, he told me a lie, and now he's buried alive. We have a nesting doll that we stole from some rich guy. Nikki, I lied to you, because I was scared to be alone.
was buried alive by the others oh, lost cool. band based on the 14th episode of season three expose you can find out more information on the band and hear more of their music over at myspace.com slash the others lost band now folks if you are in boston or in the surrounding area they are coming to your town this week on friday november 13th friday the 13th they're going to be performing at the new england fan experience now the new england fan experience is a three-day sci-fi pop culture event and other guests include leonard nimoy and john delancey from star trek james hong from hoi five-o and kung fu and heather ulrich from the sound of music and logan's run and that's in addition to the great folks of the others lost band now it's taking place this friday again at the courtyard marriott on tremont street and for details you can go to www.nefanx.com that's www.nefanx.com now it's spoiler time and uh, if you don't want to know now's the time to turn us off well it's been a busy couple of weeks here on the island and we'll start with brooke the california fan and she already sent in the report from the kahala shoot that we covered in the last transmission podcast and she found lost at work last monday at the first presbyterian church of honolulu at the ko'olau golf club in waimanalo now there wasn't much to see as they were filming inside the church kitchen but the cast trailers and some friendly crew members did let it slip that it was a scene focused on saeed or naveen and guess we'll see him cooking again yes he's gonna show off some of those culinary skills now there were also some other surprisingly familiar faces the scene also apparently included omar that's uh, our friend from the Freddy, and kimi another Freddy friend and if those were the original actors it would be anthony azizi and kevin duran but this was based mostly on the trailers now when we last saw these two gentlemen in the season four finale there's no place like home omar was blown up by a grenade that was kicked over by kimi and kimi was stabbed to death in the orchid by ben so i guess maybe they're going to get a second chance here also on the set uh, john hawks now he's the actor that was playing a new character named lennon and uh, just as a reminder lennon's casting call described the character as scruffy edgy charismatic and slightly stir crazy lennon can be deferential when it's called for he's the spokesperson or translator for the president of a foreign corporation and he's a wily negotiator far more powerful than his lowly position would seem to indicate so wow. it'd be kind of great to see what he's up to now last friday lost was back at waipahu high school michael emerson once again was there as ben but the rest of the cast that were present are even more intriguing according to patty from new york a visiting fan mixed amongst many backpack and book-toting students in the scene was tanya raymond ben's previously deceased daughter alex so she's gonna be back she also saw junior high science teacher leslie arst aka daniel roebuck and finally um, a recent addition to the cast as mentioned actually by carlton cuse i think on twitter william atherton right. who's uh, an actor's actor definitely yeah he was templeton peck in ghostbusters <laughs> he was in real genius he was in die hard was you'll, in all- you'll know him when you see him and of course his uh, character on the show is going to be uh, principal reynolds we actually went by the next day to see them filming so we spotted him in that name on the trailer and uh, terry o'quinn was actually there as well so to me i just sort of like setting the scene you've got Locke and ben now they were there in a previous uh, spoiler as uh, filming the episode the substitute so we kind of suspected that one or both mm-hmm. of them are actually substitute teachers at this school now you add in dr arts who as we know was a teacher and we've got alex as a student maybe even kind of a feisty student maybe a uh-huh. troublesome student so in my head i'm just kind of seeing this vision of like i don't know like ferris bueller slash the breakfast club kind of a whole <laughs> john hughes episode of lost and in fact this episode is being um, co-directed by uh mario van peebles who's done a lot wow. of films and a lot of uh, other yeah, movies new jack city most definitely but he actually did a bunch of stuff in the early 90s right so he's going to be having a hand in this episode but it sounds very intriguing this past monday they were all 
all over the island. First, they were at Hawaii Medical Center East on Liliha Street. That's otherwise known as St. Sebastian Hospital. Now, this scene took place in the emergency room, but I talked to some nurses that were on a smoke break, and they had said they spotted Jack or Matthew Fox, Saeed, Naveen Andrews, and his girlfriend, so presumably Nadia or yeah. Andrea Gabriel. Now, that same day, they were also at Police Beach out at Papailoa near Haleiwa, and that's the classic beach camp set. And even though it was really raining that day, they were able to shoot a few scenes with Ben, Frank, uh, Jeff Ilana, Zulika Robinson, Sun, Yunjun Kim, and Miles Ken Leung. Now, that's kind of an intriguing yeah. uh, addition because Miles would then have to be back in 2007 already. We last saw him back at the uh, Swan construction set. Now, in one scene, Frank was gathering some wood and digging in the sand. In another scene, he was toting a gun. Then it was Ben's turn to dig around in the sand. And finally, Ilana had Ben at gunpoint and was marching him down the beach. Finally, that same day, there was another shoot at Paradise Park. And uh, to this, I owe Denise, the hiking fan. And he saw them over at the Manoa Falls Trail, actually off the path. You couldn't see much, but she saw a couple of kids, a young boy and a somewhat older girl who I am going to guess is Zach and Emma, cool. the long-lost kids um, with the others. And also there were shots that were being set up after lunch, and they were going to include Cindy, yes, our missing stewardess once again, cool. and Claire, which is always interesting to read. Now, finally, on Friday, my birthday, it was a very busy day back at the beach camp at Police Beach. And uh, now I say thanks to visiting fan Damien, who just that day found our podcast and emailed us. And so he was able to provide a very detailed report. He spent the whole day watching them work again in the rain. And so we can share what we can. Even though English wasn't his first language, the gist was pretty exciting. Son, Ben, Frank, Ilana, and Miles were there, as before, at first. In one scene, Sun takes off her jacket and puts it in her tent, just as Ilana emerges from the back of the camp, storming towards Sawyer's tent. When she sits down next to it, Miles, who was tending to a fire, gets up and heads toward another tent, but gives Ilana some kind of secret signal. So, not sure what's going on there. In the next take, again, perhaps out of sequence when they film this stuff, Ilana comes out of the woods carrying a gun, hmm. and Ben is also there behind her, also carrying a gun. And finally, the scene that took the longest to shoot was a pretty big one. We see Sun working on her tent, Frank is tending to a large fire, and they call action, and Jack Hurley and Richard emerge on the beach. Mm. Yes, our friends lost previously in the 70s somehow are back. Sun sees them and runs over. She's followed by Ben, Frank, Ilana, and Miles. Sun gives Hurley a hug and Jack, and everyone gathers together, although Ben is kind of standing off somewhat, still looking a little beaten or perhaps as a prisoner. And Jack and Frank shake hands. So again, I think we're finally seeing the long-promised reunification cool. of all of our characters here in the present, 2007. Now, the next scene that they did shoot looked like a close-up of a woman with dark, straight hair leaning against Sawyer's tent, and Damien is confident that that woman was Claire, looking especially tough. Hmm. So she's back, and we're all back in the present. So yes, season six is rolling along. This, I believe, was filming for episode seven of season six hmm. as we move here into November. So thanks again to Brooke from California, Patty from New York, Denise S., and Damien for their reports for this forward cabin. That's it for our filming reports, though, so that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. Remember, your homework is to watch Season 3, Episodes 16, 17, and 18, and get your feedback to 
us by Friday, November 20th. This show is powered by you. So please send us an email, comment on the blog, call the last line, post a note on iTunes, even tweet us on Twitter. We (laughs) love hearing from you. You can email us at lost at hawaiiup.com. Comment at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Call 815-310-0808. Or as Jen mentioned, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. Now next week, we'll continue our Hawaii International Film Festival series with audio from the second of three master classes on loss. And again, the topic is bringing the design of each episode together. Then the week after that, we will continue with our season three review. And we'll talk to you then, folks. Everybody, enjoy. Stay lost. Stay lost. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.